We're in the back room talking about Times Person of the Year, but uh, no, no one's here talking to us about that now. Anyways, hey, welcome. You're in Disrupt TV. And uh, more importantly, we're here in the green room and we've got some wonderful guests today. Uh, and we're going to go in reverse order real quickly uh, just to introduce them. Our other guests will be joining us soonly. So, Simon, where are you calling in from and what are we talking about today? I am calling in from Byron Bay, Australia, which is the most eastern point on the side of Australia. There's no further way of going east. And we're going to be talking about Lead With We. It's my new book, but it's really the future of collaborative leadership, how we work together in new ways to solve for the many challenges we face today through business. It's gorgeous, man. You are on the Gold Coast somewhere, close to the Gold Coast. So right. I'm envious. So Daryl, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? Sorry, international. So I'm calling in from Dubai. And we're going to be talking about something that's not really technology. We're going to be talking about how do we recreate uh, the reef systems under the ocean Wonderful. and how we can use that to help um, you know, put some people's lives right again uh, across the world. Yeah. And you've got some amazing stories about how to do that and what you've been doing in some demonstration projects. And that's going to be awesome. Well, hey, everybody, thank you for joining us. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Val Asher. We're going to start the show soon. And our producer, L. And this is a momentous show. Val will tell you why in a bit. And I've got a little surprise for Vala. So. All right. <laughs> uh, three, two, one. Hello and uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV, and we'll do our best to answer them in the next hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in a New World of Digital Giants. He's a regular television and uh, business uh, technology news contributor to Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker. And in my hum humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV, and happy birthday, my friend. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. It is indeed my birthday, and it's a momentous occasion. But more importantly, I'm here with my awesome co-host, Vala Ashar, the chief digital evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business. After 800 guests, I finally found my book, and I can actually put it up here. <laughs> Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. And when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him speaking on business TV outlets such as Bloomberg and posting insightful analyses on ZDNet. Uh, but more importantly, it's not about us. It's about our awesome guests. And dude, this is freaking awesome. <laughs> I can't, I, I'm doing the show from my summer home and I forgot to bring your book. I can't believe it. Uh, after but, uh, 260 episodes, I don't have your book. That's awesome. After 200 episodes, I finally have his book to show. But it's not about us. It's about That's our awesome, awesome guests. We've got a great one uh, and someone I had the chance of sitting down and breaking Bread with who do we have first to kick off, Daryl? So our, our our first guest is Daryl Owen. He's a senior sponsorship and partnership manager as ASRAC, the leading NGO for ocean protection and conservation of the United Arab Emirates, Emirates as well as the CEO and owner of Freestyle Divers. Daryl is passionate about the ocean and launched a Freestyle Divers Academy to bring action-oriented marine conservation within reach of citizens and scientists and local conservationists. Daryl funded the development of a marine conservative education system and the creation of a unique coral conservation project in Fujari, UAE, and is now busy turning that into a global franchise to help global coastal communities back on their feet after the pandemic, as well as augmenting the protection of our oceans. Daryl spent nearly three decades in senior management and innovation for software and consulting companies and was a partner at Deloitte Consulting and has visited, listen to this, Ray, and worked in more than 100 countries and lived in six of them. Welcome, Daryl, to Disrupt TV. Glad to be here. <laughs> Thank you, sir. We're so excited to have you here. And, you know, what could be hotter than the topic around sustainability? We're post-COP26. Um, but one of the biggest areas where we often neglect is really all that stuff that's around us. I mean, the biggest area, surface area around us, we kind of miss. Why are healthy oceans so important to sustainability? Well, um, the, the ocean basically sustains the whole planet. It manages... Uh, weather it manages temperature it produces um 
about 70% of our oxygen. I mean, if the uh, ocean uh, suddenly fails, the entire planet fails. And one of the key things that keeps the ocean um, healthy is coral reefs. And, you know, little known facts, um, they only represent about 0.06 of the ocean floor, and yet they sustain 35% of the ocean species. And when you consider that, if you look at all the species on the planet, um, about 96% of those, sorry, excuse me, 94% of those are in the ocean, only 6% are on land. So it's a pretty important thing. That is amazing. Um, the word Azarac gives uh, credence uh, to the uh, the mother tongue in, in, the, in the United Arab Emirates, being the Arabic word for blue. And it defines right. the marine environment of Azarac, uh, serves to conserve and protect. How did you get involved, Daryl? I mean, again, a, a consultant, a partner at Deloitte, traveling around the globe. Um, what, what, what led you to this life's mission of um, making sure that we end up with cleaner, healthier oceans? Yeah, it was a bit of a, a bit of a change. Um, yeah, yeah, I've, <laughs> I've been diving for about, oh, it must be about 32, 33 years now. And it's always been a passion of mine. So, you know, the ocean has always been very close to me. And I came over to the UAE to actually open up um, uh, MicroStrategy. Um, that was how I landed here about eight years ago, um, set up offices in various different countries. And I actually uh, went out one day. Um, my wife said to me, listen, we're living by the ocean now. It's fantastic. And um, why don't we get a boat? You know, we could go out and uh, go diving every weekend and stuff. And so I'm looking through the ads and stuff. And I, I went out one day and came back in the evening and she said, so did you get a boat? Uh, I said, yeah, um, but I also bought a dive center. <laughs> and so we actually now have three boats and like a dive center and um, she's <laughs> okay. All right. And so it all started about seven years ago with this kind of side business that I had um, for pleasure on the weekends. And gradually I, I got more and more interested in the, uh, the coral that's over here. I mean, we have some of the warmest waters on the planet and coral is not very temperature resistant. And so it means that we've got some of the hardiest strains in the world here. And then I started looking at, well, okay, how's it doing? And every year there seemed to be a little bit more that had died, you know? And so we set up a program, um, I think it was about four and a half years ago now, where I got some marine biologists in and we started to work out, well, you know, how are we going to grow this stuff? And that then led into, well, why don't we create an education system? So we created a university level uh, education system all around uh, marine conservation and marine biology. And then we um, started working on a project. I, it was funny, I, I was looking on the internet and I found a picture of Dubai back in 1990. And Dubai back then, it was like um, this long dusty road, which is now Sheikh Zayed Road. It's like a, you know, a six lane highway that goes through the middle of uh, Dubai. And there were like four hotels and, and a few buildings and stuff by the side of this, this road. And we, we started looking at the, uh, the ocean floor and it's like sand. You know, there are some places where there are coral reefs, but the rest of it's just sand. And we looked at this and thought, wow, the water is perfect for growing coral, but there's nothing for it to grow on because it can't grow on sand. It has to grow on something solid. And so we came up with the idea of creating this kind of underwater city, um, put it out there and a whole bunch of companies uh, got interested. You know, we have some tech companies like Dell who have uh, sponsored stuff for us. We've got Maersk, the shipping company, um, you know, and a bunch of other you know, corporates. And so we started building these um, these kind of sculptures. Uh, we have like a 10 meter long, you know, 30 foot long whale shark that we've built out of uh, rebar and concrete and stuff. Um, we've got manta rays and turtles and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And so what we do is get out there, pick up fragments of coral um, off the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. um, now, it's been naturally broken by waves and whatever. Sure. We put them onto nursery tables. So think of this like a blood bank in a hospital. Um, you know, we need a lot of blood, right? If there's a pile up on the highway, then you know, we're going to repair everybody. We need that. So same for the reefs. And so we created tables and tables and tables um, 
And then I got the government uh, in Fujairah to grant us basically a whole bunch of land, sandy bottomed land underneath the sea. And we created this um, coral hospital and, you know, so really nice sculptures and stuff. So we grow them out on the tables and then we put them all on top of the, the reefs. And those will basically last for about 10 years uh, as an artificial structure. And at some point, all the metal will rust away, the coral will get too heavy and it just collapses down. At that point, we end up with a new natural reef. So what wow. that does is create what we call carrying capacity. So reefs are like architects, you know, um, the reason that Dubai grew, well, one of many reasons, but if you look at the sort of basic reasons, how does a city grow? Well, you, you need a habitat. You need somewhere for people to live. Then you need food. You need something for them to eat and then you need work. And so coral actually provides all of those three things to, you know, multitudes of species. And so by increasing the size of the carrying capacity, suddenly we increase the number of fish, the number of uh, uh, organisms that are creating uh, goodness for the ocean. Let me put it like that. Sure. Um, now that fixes a whole bunch of things. It helps the ocean to be healthier. It helps uh, with sustainable fishing as well, because that's still a very strong livelihood um, in this country. So more fish, better fishing, and still enough fish for next year and the year after and the year after that. So it's kind of like a little circular economy type thing. Um, yeah. That's amazing. So that's what we've been up to. What an amazing, what an amazing story. Right. Yeah, and it's and it's pretty interesting too. You guys do a whole bunch of other things. Uh, if I remember that, that's part of your climate change stuff. So magic mangroves, coral restoration, but you also do a bunch of other things. You you tackle uh, marine debris and toxins uh, on ocean pollution, and uh, you've been do. doing stuff with endangering uh, marine life. Uh, talk a little bit about more of those things in in terms of what you're doing with you know cleaning up the oceans and you know helping to, I mean even shop sustainable fashion, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. So. Um... We, uh, we do a lot of cleanup work because, um, you know, depending on where you are in the country, you know, some people have a very, uh, like in Dubai, for example, you know, there, there's a kind of an ethical thing where people pick up their trash when they leave the beach. That's not the case everywhere in the country. No. Um, so we organize uh, big teams of volunteers to go out and um, help us pick all this stuff up. We bring it in, we get it recycled. Um, in certain cases, you know, we can use the recycled materials to then go on and produce, uh, you know, ecological goods. Um, we do mangrove cleanups. Uh, mangroves are really interesting. They are the, um, they're basically the forest that can absorb the most carbon on the planet. Um, a mangrove tree can absorb, you know, multiple times what a normal tree could. Um, so, you know, they're very important. And uh, the UAE has just launched uh, as part of the UN, um, you know, SGD stuff. They've uh, launched uh, a target. And going back to what you were saying earlier, Valor, when they launch something in this country, it's followed through. They're going to plant 100 million, 100 million mangroves by 2030. Wow. So, you know, we're part of that as well. We're, we're helping to plant. We're, uh, we're getting corporations involved so that their employees can enjoy you know, CSR type activities and do some good as well while they're at it. So, yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that you, you selected UAE and, and their commitment to sustainable development goals is as aggressive as any country yeah. in the world. Um, and you're planning to take your program global. Um, what's the strategy from a CEO perspective trying to expand globally? What Measurable outcomes are you going to lean into and share with other communities? Can you talk to us about what to me feels like a Herculean effort because you have to have foresight, you have to have grit, and you really have to have passion about healthy ocean. How do you, how do you expand this, this program, this incredible program that you've started? Well, the, the interesting thing is that the ocean, um, you know, coastal businesses are... Um, a very, very large industry globally. I mean, there are billions and well, hundreds of billions of dollars that are generated by um, tourism, by fisheries, by, you know, there's, there's a ton of different things that happens around the ocean. Now, COVID has smashed that. I mean, with tourism, um, 
you know, obviously being so limited over the last two years, um, you know, particularly in many of the spots where we have the most beautiful parts of the oceans. So, uh, you know, Southeast Asia and, uh, you know, places like um, you know, Thailand or, you know, even down in South Africa. I mean, they've literally had nobody there. So all of the tourism businesses are essentially on their knees at this point in time. Wow. Um, you know, they've had to skinny down massively. Uh, and that's the ones that have survived. There are so many different, you know, dive centers and, um, you know, tourist-based ocean type stuff that's just closed. And in addition to which, you know, we've got overfishing issues globally as well, where there just aren't enough fish in the ocean to satisfy all the, the trawlers and fishermen uh, at this point in time. You know, so there's a, there's, a, there's a food issue there as well. So, you know, what I'm looking at doing is to take the, the projects that we've done locally you know, as a test, this was this was very much a test here and a successful one, where we can actually teach um, local businesses how to do something that is going to be firstly a year long activity, because a lot of the tourist stuff obviously is very seasonal. Um, you know, people want to go and dive when the sun's out and the water's warm, but if we can actually create a um, system whereby we've got education we've got a way of training local people how to build these kind of reef structures we can create a centralized supply chain for a lot of the materials and techniques and everything else that uh, are required for these people essentially what we're doing is giving them a new business that they didn't have before which is going to give them 12 months of revenue the flip side of it is that hey, we just created a whole bunch more fish, a lot more health in the ocean, and therefore it's going to have a very positive effect on the whole food side of things, especially in the poorer areas of the world. So that that's overall the plan. Um, so it's been all about, the last year has been all about documenting, you know, how to do this stuff, making everything into SOPs, working out, you know, what we can do in terms of how do we get metal to places where it's not, you know, locally present, to do some of this stuff so yeah and then it's really about creating a, a network you know i'm not looking to create a corporation with uh, with a hundred thousand dive centers reporting to me what i'm trying to do here is to actually create more of a circular economy type thing where hopefully as we've done here in the uae we can get corporations interested in spending their eco bucks on something that's really useful um, that's not only going to help the ocean, but it's going to help, you know, people who are really in need at this point and create something far more sustainable in the future. So, yeah, it's a big dream, a lot of work, but, you know, I think it's a really worthy cause. For sure. For sure. Yeah. You know, there's some awesome opportunities, right? Like how do people get involved? I mean, it's almost like we've got like the endeavor model for um, restoration, right? You know, you get the local diving community, you get some corporates and sponsorships that are involved. You build out the kit in a box, you get people putting yeah. it together. Um, and then you get the tourists to participate on a daily trip. You get corporates out there to go volunteer. Like how do you envision sponsorships and people getting involved? So. Well, I mean, there, there are several things that we want to, uh, to do. I mean, there's, there's basic sponsorships where, you know, if you've got a local corporation in a country where we want to develop stuff and they want to help locally, mm -hmm. then, you know, they can uh, donate to a project. All of our projects are 100% measurable. So they're all scientific projects. You know, we're not just throwing junk in the ocean and hoping it's going to work. We're going to teach people how to actually measure, you know, which species are arriving and, you know, that feedback then goes back to the corporations because most of the CSR activities that mm. I've been fortunate enough to be involved in, it's usually been marketing and comms that have been mm. managing that. And of course, mm. what they want is to be able to publicize all the good work that they're doing. So part of the methodology is giving them footage every month. It's giving them a quarterly survey um, that they can post um, so that you know everyone gets to see exactly what they're doing. It's very measurable. Um, the other thing which I'm also looking for is I, I want to create a centralized booking system because ecotourism is becoming, um, you know, stronger and stronger every year. People want to go, maybe not just lie on the beach and, you know, drink uh, bikiris or whatever. They, they want to go and do something useful um, and enjoy themselves and learn something new. 
So what I really want to do is to come up with a, a kind of centralized booking system, if you like, where people can sign up with us and then we can funnel them over to the right places. You know, all these places that we set up so they know what they're going to get. They know the quality that, you know, the methodology is going to be standardized for everybody. And then people can go around and, uh, you know, get involved personally. Wow, we're like at the beginning of like a VRBO yeah. network, you know, for uh, ecotourism and education at the same like time. It. So, like hey, Daryl Owens, thank you so much for being here, Daryl. Daryl Owens, CEO and owner of Freestyle Divers and Senior Sponsorships and Partner Manager for ASRAC. We will definitely see you in Dubai when we're out there. Uh, we can follow the company Twitter at Freestyle Divers. And of course, you and I are going to have to get another meal soon. So thanks a lot. <laughs> we look forward thank to you, it. Thank you, guys. Thank nice you very talk. much. Thank you. Wow. What incredible work. Um, you know, following your passion and, and, you know, the founder of my company is committed to and funds ocean cleanup projects. So I'm looking forward to learning more about Daryl's work. Okay. Our next guest, which I think is a great segue, uh -huh. Joel McCowers, chairman and co-founder of Green Biz Group. For more than 30 years, Joel has been a well-respected voice on business sustainability and innovation, an award-winning author, speaker, strategist on corporate sustainability practices, climate tech, and clean economy. Joel has advised a wide range of companies to align sustainability with business success. Joel is the founder of Green Biz Group. One of our favorite guests from Green Biz uh, is, is Heather. Uh, it comes to our show more than a dozen times. So uh, Joel is creator of Green Biz Calm, research reports and events on corporate sustainability and clean tech strategy and trends. A former nationally syndicated columnist, Joel is author or co-authored or co-authored um, of more than a dozen books, including the, the New Grand Strategy, Restoring America's Prosperity, Security and Sustainability in the 21st Century. The Associated Press has called Joel the guru of green business practices. Joel was awarded the Hutchins Medal uh, by the American Society of Quality. He was also inducted into Hall of Fame of the International Institute of uh, Sustainability Professionals. You can follow Joel on Twitter at M-A-K-O-W-E-R. Welcome, Joel, to Disrupt TV. Great to be here. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for yeah, being with us. Yeah, we're so excited to have you here. Where are you, got, where are you dialing in from today? So. Uh, I'm uh, here in Oakland, California, which is where I'm based and where Green Biz is, is also based. Sure. Oh, that is wonderful. Just across the bay here. And more importantly, you know, you've been talking a lot about what's happening, what's happening next. You're an early pioneer in this space. Um, but, you know, banks and financial institutions and regulatory bodies, everyone's starting to talk about this. And we've got sustainability coming. We've got lots of ESG reporting and metrics on the way. It looks like, you know, there's some progress there. Commitments are being made somewhere out far abroad, post COP 26. Um, are folks serious? Or are we just talking the talk? Like, yeah. Where are we on this? You know, yeah. what, what's your assessment? I mean, you've been through a lot of these cycles, Like, right? What's the hype? What's the reality? How far are we away? Well, you know, the, the reality of being in sustainability is that, uh, first of all, it's an inherently optimistic profession. We wake up every day thinking about solutions and 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 big audacious goals and, and moon shots are now earth shots. Uh, and and at the same time, you know, it's it's challenging. The, the, the indicators aren't going well. There's uh, I'll just the problems are manifesting uh, greater severity and frequency. So we go through this duality of of holding these great visions and opportunity focused things and 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 it's disappointment and excitement and and hope and despair and then you know at some point it's time for lunch uh but you know the reality is is that the banks and the financial piece uh is becoming a big part of of the sustainability world these days and that may be one of the big stories of 2021 and 2022 23 24 because uh and banks have been doing this for a while but uh, in in uh, Glasgow uh, last month, there is a formation of something called the Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero yeah. GFANS. Yep. And it was uh, spearheaded by the former Bank of Governor Mark Carney. And it brought together uh, financial institutions representing $130 trillion, $130 trillion in assets under management, about 40% of all the world's financial assets about 450 firms across 45 nations. And their commitment was that they're going to transition their portfolios to be in line with the Paris Agreement of 2015, which is to work towards a 1.5 centigrade degree rise in temperature, uh, which is sort of the big goal uh, of the whole climate movement these days. 
and then there's the reality, <laughs> which oh, is no, wait, 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 but, but which wait. is that uh, it's not that they're not serious. It's just that they're turning massive ships. Did I mention a hundred and thirty trillion dollars? And um, and many of these banks are still funding coal and 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 oil and gas exploration and all these things, and and it. And they have to back out of that. And of course, the world, and particularly the activist world, uh, wants them to stop today, no more. And they're, some of them are doing some versions of that. They're making commitments to no longer fund certain kinds of things, but they have all these legacy investments. So it's, it's true with everything in sustainability. It's, it's a big ship to turn. Um, but what's different now is that the business case, if you will, for sustainability, which has been around for a long time, but really boils down to one word, which is risk. You know, financial risk, uh, uh, transition risk, technology risk, regulatory risk, of course, reputational, reputational risk. risk, right to operate, supply chain continuity risk. And the finance piece is all of a sudden being seen as it relates to, the, or climate in general, as it relates to the risk that companies uh, are facing. And I think banks recognize that this is no longer just a feel good, nice to do, save the trees kind of thing. Uh, this is pure and simple about risk. Uh, speaking of risk, uh, some of your more recent articles uh, with GreenBiz uh, is warning us of, of what may be in the very near uh, future, 2022, next year. Uh, one of the articles that, you know, my ESGs will be the Wild West in 2022. Uh, it's hard to even know who the good guys are anymore. Yeah. And, and the other that says the politics of climate change and ESGs are about to get ugly next year. Yeah, you, you reference climate and mandatory ESG reporting will be on the ballot in scores of states and localities. It is an election year that's coming up. And, um, you know, they'll be potentially part of an orchestrated effort to possibly reverse efforts to transition to a low carbon, just economy. So you're advising us, uh, warning us that there's a tough year ahead. Uh, can you talk to us about, you know, what can businesses do to, you know, still follow the course and, and, and make progress in this potential wild west that you yeah. reference for next year? Yeah. Well, I'll talk about the political thing first, because I think that's really yeah. one of the big opportunities here. Um, it, it, the, the Republican Party has made it already clear that they're going to start attacking energy, uh, renewable energy mandates and, and a number of other things at the state and local levels, not just at the national level. We've already got uh, Joe Manchin, who's already basically, you know, the, as most people know, the largest contributor of fossil fuel. Uh, contributions of anyone in, in, I think, the Senate, if not in all of Congress, who is single-handedly stopping all of the all of the climate change uh, legislation that the President Biden has put forth, and, and that's going to become a much bigger thing. And they're going to try and turn this. And they're, they're talking about something called the um, uh, the uh, oh, what is that? The uh, it relates to the, the the sort of theory, the racial theory. I can't remember what it's called anymore, but they're tying it to energy where they're sort of trying to taint it with uh, this wokeness. Uh, and this is not about being woke. This is not about doing the right thing. This is a, a, a critical energy theory, what they're going to call it, instead of critical race theory. This is about uh, about the viability of our of our cities, of our of our homes, of our communities, of, of our world to a large extent. So that's going to be really interesting. So what companies, uh, you know, for a long time, companies have stayed out of, of talking about climate policy. They're lobbyists and the list of five or 10 things that lobbyists go to Washington or state capitals for, that falls off the list. It's not even at the top of that. And it's been safe. It's been okay for companies to do that. And if you think of the big bell curve, you know, of, of on one hand, you've got the, at the one end, the fossil fuel companies who are going to obstruct stuff as they're doing now. And at the front end, you've got the Patagonias and a, a relative handful of companies that are always going to be speaking out on this stuff. In the big fat middle is everybody else. And that's been a safe space. So there's a movement going on right now to make that not a safe space. I'm uh, advising to an organization called Climate Voice, climatevoice.org. And uh, they're taking a page out of the LGBTQ movement. Uh, if you remember back when North Carolina and Indiana passed these bathroom bills to make, you know, all this stuff that was sort of repressive and, and reactionary. And, and companies like Google and Apple and a number of others said, you know what? We're not going to do business in North Carolina. We're going to pull our facilities or not plan new ones. As I recall, the NCAA canceled. It was one of the final four, yeah. Sweet 16. 
uh, tournaments there, pulled out of North Carolina. And eventually they relented. And so they're now taking a page from that and to try to get companies to say, uh, to, to get employees to press their companies to say, we must take a stand. Because that LGBTQ thing happened because employees were saying, we don't, we're not in favor of this. This is, goes against our values. So when are employees going to speak up to their companies and press companies to get off the sidelines where it's and make it no longer safe to be quiet on these policy issues that could make a world of difference. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're right. I think ALEC, uh, which is the American legislative exchange council ALEC, yeah. uh, held their state and uh, national uh, policy summit in San Diego last week. So that's uh, one of the things that they are doing, but there is good news, right? I mean, there is good news on the front in general. I mean, if you look at greenhouse gas emissions uh, from the EPA, uh, GHGs were, I mean, down like 1.7% from 2019 to 2020, right? Or 2018 to 2019 is 1.7 and a little bit more in 2018 to 2019. So we did it without the Paris Accords. I mean, by moving to natural gas and moving to other models and driving down consumption. So it can be done without forced mandates from the Paris Accord. And, you know, folks can actually do something. Um, and it's, it's actually impressive that we were able to do that. And, you know, you could see the heat maps from the satellite when post pandemic, like you can see what was going on. And, you know, you could see the impact, like we visual, we could visualize the impact of human activity for the first time ever and nasa's got some great imaging uh that's out there so so there's there's a lot going on here um and there's there's some goodness as well that's out there so um how are companies going to make these net zero commitments i mean can they eliminate this gog i mean i've got my friends drinking almond milk and i'm like i'll trade your almond milk and water usage for my you know 10 pounds of beef and uh, you know methane flatulence you yeah. know like how's that going to work well, you know, growing almonds is one of the most water intensive crops, but we won't get into that. <laughs> but that's why I use that as an example. I mean, I mean. Uh, no, I mean, this stuff is tough. It's complicated and there's no perfect answer. Are, are we going to do like a head to head smackdown, Joe Macauer versus like Michael Schellenberger, like live in Oakland? Oh, yeah, oh, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, what's, what's really exciting about this, this world is that the amount of innovations, because we're in the process now, in, in effect, of reinventing our world, the products, the processes, the, the business models, and this goes to buildings and energy systems, food systems, uh, you know, vehicles and mobility, the circular economy, uh, and how all this relates to social justice and, and inclusion of, in, the, in the economy and, and trying to use these things to address the, the massive and 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 just uh, our just insane uh, inequality gap that is growing, uh, and and so it's very exciting world on all this stuff. Uh, and yes, the greenhouse gases you know have eased off, but they're not shrinking at the rate. And this mm -hmm. is true globally that they need to be happening at the scale, scope, and speed of change. So we need to be doing a lot more. And I think we're going to be seeing this ramping up over the next few years. We are seeing this already, and it's going to continue to ramp up. If uh, there, there continues to be the undergirding policy support and, the, you know, we don't have a Congress or, uh, or state legislatures that want to undo some of the things like renewable energy uh, mandates, because mm -hmm. you need both carrots and sticks. You need the government to set a base and provide some incentives. And that's how business is always uh, transformed is when there are those, those carrots and sticks and incentives. So, you know, uh, we certainly know that uh, oil and natural gas and coal have have billions and billions and billions of dollars a year of incentives still, even though they're obviously not only mature but past mature industries, uh, and and they and yet the you know conservative movement uh, you know their hair is on fire when they we spend a nickel to support renewable energy, so. It's an extremely exciting. <laughs> look, look I'm, I'm a big proponent of, of, of um, you know, energy efficiency. I've got 69 solar panels. I've got like battery banks. Yeah. Uh, but, but lithium mining is just so bad. Yeah. I'm getting worried, right? Like we're not doing the full cost benefit analysis, right? Yeah. Like do we trade lithium mining and solar cells and battery backups for use of natural gas till we get better at it? Um, and then do we really go nuclear or not? I mean, like, there's like, I mean, we're not doing CBAs on this stuff and it's driving me nuts, yeah. right? Like, am I really doing better or should I just get better at consuming less, right? Well, I mean, all these things are factors and I feel like we're, we're missing that education as well. I mean, and I, sorry, Bali, I jumped in, but no, how do we address that? It's, it's like one of these yeah. things, which back to the almond milk, right? My almond milk and I'll trade you on the, on, on the beef, right? I mean, like people don't realize this is happening and, and they just jump into the next thing. 
So. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we like what we like, and we don't want to change. Change is hard, you know. We, when it comes to change, we we love the noun, but hate the verb. Uh, you know, <laughs> Obama ran on the noun, hope and change, and then when he tried to actually change stuff with the verb, it wasn't so easy. And we see that now with with Biden and 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 pretty much anybody who's trying to change things. Uh, you know, there's a great Stephen Covey quote uh, that uh, change happens at the speed of trust. Yes. And if you think about it, you know, we don't trust one another anymore. We, and we don't trust our institutions, the media, uh, government, uh, even business, uh, science. And so if we're not trusting one another, our neighbors even, uh, how are we going to change? And, and so that's part of it is that there's just not a sense of the of the common good. And let's let's all work together to solve these problems, which are, you know, only going to get worse. It, I think when you look at, you know, these are not political issues and you talk about cost benefit analysis on nuclear, those have been done. Nobody actually knows the full cost, the full cost of nuclear no. energy, because there's no one's ever had to decommission, uh, insure it because the government insures it. Uh, and, and so if we did those, then nuclear just on cost basis alone would, would just, you know, sink to the bottom of the list. So we, but it's a political issue and it's a change issue and it's a, you know, a lobbyist issue and political campaign, it, it all unravels really quickly into sure. a bigger ball of wax. Sure. And you we should just cancel the midterms. <laughs> yeah. You, say, you, 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 you summarize these change proposals uh, in an article where you talked about COP26 and you said there's 13 big deals that made COP26 the business uh, COP. And you listed, you know, real money, first mover advantage, sea change, Green hydrogen coalition of the willing—about 13 big deals. What was the most uh, encouraging deal? Uh, are they one or two of these 13 that you summarized that you can share with us that gave you hope that you know we're 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 really committed to change? Well, I mean, <clears throat> again, I, my focus was on the business side of COP. I don't. Yeah really cover the, the, the negotiations, but there's something called the LEAF Coalition, L-E-A-F, uh, which, which uh, is a scheme that was created by the, the governments of the UK, Norway, and the United States. And it's, a, it's, a, it's brought in a, a bunch of big companies like uh, Amazon and Delta Airlines and Nestle and Salesforce and Unilever. And what they're doing is they're, they're uh, committing money to pay farmers in developing uh, economies to uh, maintain the land rather than cut it down to use for farming or or or, or grazing, um, and uh, and it's going through trusted entities, third parties in each country, working with government, so the money's not going to the corrupt governments, uh, and in Brazil and Vietnam and a number of other countries uh, to protect the 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 tropical rainforest. And we've never really done this before. We've talked about this idea, and they have over a, a billion um, dollars of demand. To uh, that, in other words, that farmers will say, "I would, you know, I'll take your money to not cut this down, or to not, uh, and and not only not cut it down, but also to maintain it and protect it and conserve it." So there is some, and, and there's then the companies get it's not philanthropy; they get some uh, offsets and some other credits that they can use, uh, or maybe even sell on open markets. It becomes a business thing really quickly. Hmm. But that was really encouraging. Uh, we've been trying to figure out how to protect uh, tropical rainforests, which are the lungs of the earth, for a long, long time. And they go through Central Africa and Southeast Asia and, of course, the Amazon. Um, and, and so that was, uh, I think, a really encouraging uh, development. And we're seeing a lot more of those kinds of things where business is partnering, sometimes with government, sometimes with NGOs, sometimes just with one another to make big change that none of them can do separately. I know it's quite a list. I mean, you got Amazon, Salesforce, Delta, UI, BlackRock, Burberry, yeah. Walmart, McKinsey, all part of that you know coalition that's doing that. I mean, I was watching that pretty intensely uh, as well. Uh, where relief is happening, so it's 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 a big shift. But but what's next, right? I mean, you you impend this impending war on standards, operational reporting, right? Rich countries versus poor countries, a little small election, you know, midterms next year. I mean, you know, global change. I mean, if you look at around the globe, like people are protesting everything at this moment, massive amounts of activism. Like, are we all going to get along and, and, and make this place a better planet? <laughs> yeah, well, that is a big, that's the big existential question. I mean, the short answer of, of what's to come is more of same, but the emphasis is on more. Uh, it's just fascinating. I've been in this field, I think, as you said, for 30 or more years. 
and ramping up this field just in the past, uh, well, in the pandemic world, in the past year or year and a half, has been extraordinary with a number of companies making bigger commitments. The hiring of talent in this is becoming a big constraining issue because there's just not enough people to hire that companies want to hire, and not just in sustainability departments, but in fleets and facilities and real estate and procurement and supply chain and HR and marketing and, and, and finance uh, throughout. Uh, and, and so... And the, so I think it's the pace of change is growing and, and quickening faster than a lot of us thought possible. And it's really encouraging. And at the same time, it's also terrifying just to see the indicators uh, at the global scale. So, you know, I wake up most days on the on the uh, happy, uh, optimistic side of the bed or I might not get out of it. Uh, <laughs> but but it is uh, this world. And I think there is so much exciting going on. We chronicle it. Every day on greenbiz.com, uh, you know, we have seven weekly newsletters you can get for free that really sort of gets into a lot of these very specific issues. And, and the one thing, last thing I'll say, and I'm, you know, Daryl Owen, who you had just had on, was talking about uh, eco bucks, you know, corporate eco bucks as if it's corporate sponsorships and philanthropy to repair the coral reefs. And this is not just true for coral, it's true for all ecosystems. This is no longer philanthropy. This is hardcore investments to you know, mitigate against tidal surge, which coral reefs do, to, to enhance fisheries, which, which uh, are shrinking uh, by the year, uh, or a tenth of them now are 90% depleted, over half of them are, are, are endangered. So these are becoming much more business opportunities and business risk mitigation strategies than simply doing the right thing. You know, we'll have to get you two together. I think there's definitely a lot to talk about. We're here with Joel McHour, chairman and co-founder of Green Biz Group. You can follow him on Twitter at M-A-K-O-W-E-R. Thank you so much for sharing your insights. Really appreciate everything. And of course, uh, sharing Heather with us uh, when she joins us. So thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You were terrific. Wow. That's that's amazing work. And you're right. It's not about philanthropy. This is... Uh, this is about our future. Um, yeah, I, mean, I hope those two stay afterwards in the green room. We've got the private chat going on in the back um, yeah. just to get the connect. So hopefully hop on there. Um, but yeah, but we got an awesome next guest. Who do we have coming up? We have, this is our, this is our, uh, uh, our, our, our final guest. This is where, you know, cleanup hitter, our guest comes and hits a home run, brings it all home. We have right. Simon <laughs> Mainwaring, founder, CEO of We First and author of Lead With We, the business revolution that will save our future. Simon is founder and CEO of We First, a strategic consultancy accelerating growth and impact of purpose-driven brands. What a perfect ending for this sec this episode, talking to Simon. Simon is a member of the steering committee of Sustainable Brands, the Forbes Business Council, and fellow of the Royal Society of Arts. Simon was named the top 50 keynote speaker in the world by Real Leaders in 2020. And uh, his company, We First, was Real Leaders' top 100 impact companies in the U.S. for this year, 2021. Simon's uh, book, We First, was a New York Times bestseller and named best marketing book of the year by Strategy and Business. Simon hosts the Lead with We podcast. And you can follow Simon on Twitter at Simon, S-I-M-O-N, M-A-I-N-W-A-R-I-N-G. Welcome, Simon, to the Shrek TV. Thanks, Vala. Thanks, Ray. Thank hey, you, we're sir. super excited to have you here. And, uh, you know, uh, you're calling in from a beautiful place that we can talk about oceans. We've been talking about what's going on. But now we've got to talk about some leadership. So right. what's the lead with we movement? You've been talking about it. How should we think about it? I mean, we've been leading with I, sadly. And, you know, you know how that works. And so now we're trying different approaches and different leadership styles. And you've been at the forefront of advocating for this uh, type of change. So uh, share with us what's going on. How do we get there? And uh, and, and what's important behind this awesome book? Well, the big problem is we're not getting far enough, fast enough to fix these challenges we face, both in, both in terms of our future, but also in terms of business. These issues like climate or ocean acidification or loss of biodiversity, they're affecting our supply chain, our ability to attract and keep employees, you know, whether consumers want to buy our products or not. So whether you look at it through the lens of business or just as a stakeholder in our future, we're not moving far enough, fast enough. So I spent the last three or four years looking at all these great companies doing good, but wondering what's the missing piece of the puzzle. And it really comes down to this idea that the connective tissue between this growing number of purposeful efforts, whether you're a sales force or whether you're a small startup or social enterprise, mm -hmm. the connective tissue between them all isn't really there. 
And so lead with we is really about shifting from being that lead with me mentality, even when it comes to doing good yourself, to really working together to have the greatest number of collaborators to serve the largest number of people and planet in our future. Now, that sounds simple, but when you actually execute that as a CEO or as a company culture or someone taking new products and innovations to market, what does that look like? And the book really explains how you can apply that to your company and then take it to scale. You know, listening to our first two guests reference the impact of the pandemic in the last uh, 23 months, you know, from February of 2020 to present day, you know, we've had, we referenced elections in the U.S. We had elections last year. So there was this incredible volume of misinformation that, you know, we had to deal with. Uh, on top of that health crisis, which led to an economic crisis, climate crisis in terms of fires and floods. And, 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 and so there's, a, there's a, you know, and, and then now we're talking about mass resignations, you know, where right, folks, great they don't necessarily trust their employers and they're trying to find more purposeful work. So the combination of all this has led to a trust deficit mm-hmm. that business leaders really need to address if they want to have sustainable growth and relevance. So, so I can't imagine a better time to talking about leadership with we in mind, an inclusive, empathetic, compassionate, purposeful leadership. Talk to us about, are you seeing a shift, a real shift in uh, business leaders understanding that there's mental and physical stress that we're all facing and that they need to you know, celebrate and, and surround themselves with focus that uh, have a stakeholder success in mind, employees, customers, partners, communities. It's it's not about shareholders. Uh, it's about stakeholders. Talk to us about the shift, real shift that you're seeing as a result of the pandemic. Well, I think the pandemic, it wasn't a moment in time or isn't a moment in time as it continues. It's actually a pilot program for what the future is going to look like <laughs> in which business has to show up in what I talk about in the book as first responders, I mean, just think about it. In February last year, if you told everyone that major corporations, if not all businesses, would have downed their tools, re-engineered their supply chains, sent everyone home to work, you know, you wouldn't have believed it. But in a crisis, we show up differently, right? Well, I think what we're going to face in the next decade and beyond is, you know, the challenge to leadership will be we're all going to be facing multiple crises at once. Whether it was social equity in the Black Lives Matter movement, climate crisis, COVID over the last 18 months, we're all going to be dealing with multiple issues at once. And I think COVID was an accelerator of the awareness that business needs to show up differently. But here's where I draw a distinction. It's great that there's a lot of businesses out there talking about this shift from you know, shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. But where I get concerned is there's so much talk about individuals, companies, all sharing in the benefits of capitalism, but there's not enough talk about sharing in the responsibilities of capitalism and changing it. So what do I need to do as an individual, as a father, a brother, a son, as a citizen? Mm. What do you need to do as a CEO or as a founder? We got in this mess together, so we're going to have to get out of it together and we're all going to have to show up. And to your question about why would it be any different now, why is it possible? Three things are happening at once that I've never seen before in 30 years of brand work and, 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 and marketing. Firstly, we have the stakes. We have an existential crisis for humanity, as we heard from the earlier guests. I mean, we want to be on track for a 1.5 degree Celsius temperature rise, but we're currently on track, according to COPS26, for a 2.4 degree Celsius rise in temperature. So we've got the stakes. Secondly, we've got the stakeholders at the table. You know, we were just talking about how the investor class is now, whether it's institutional investors like pension funds or retail investors through Robin Hood, they're all looking to invest their money in companies that are part of the solution rather than part of the problem. So we've got the stakes, we've got the stakeholders, and we've got the story, a shifting story or narrative around the role of business, whether it's at the World Economic Forum, the UN, COP26, everyone, CEOs of major corporations to heads of state are saying, we need to re-engineer capitalism. And ultimately, this is really a dialogue around the future of collaborative leadership. How do we live, work and grow together in new ways that will restore and protect the natural and social systems on which all of our futures depend and which makes business possible? And that's why I'm so excited about the future. We have reached that point of intolerance, of crisis, of tension when we're finally going to show up differently. 
makes sense. No, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, the good news is global temperature did drop this year due to La Nina and a couple other things. Uh, so, so some some forces of nature are coming to save us, but right. probably not enough. Um, but you've got a great point here, right? I mean. Circular regenerative practice are more important than ever. Uh, we just put out a report on big ideas on the ESG imperative. And, and one of the things is how people are, are building for those regenerative practices. Um, and that's really different, right? Um, Suspend sustainability, right? You're, you're really looking at, you know, redesigning product offerings, uh, thinking about how services are delivered, mm -hmm. thinking about how you reward people for, you know, bringing things back, right, as part of that regenerative process and, and returns look differently, right? The incentives for returns means uh, recycling and, you know, reallocation of uh, products and energy allocations. Uh, what do you think, how do we get there? Like, why, why is that suddenly important? Why are people focused on this area? And, you know, how is this different from sustainability? Well, I, you know, the truth is nature is not sustainable by its very nature. It's regenerative. You know, there's this whole cycle of life, death and rebirth that constantly goes on. So we're finally starting to sort of mimic the right model in terms of how we want to kind of shore up our own um, stability uh, as a species and in our communities and society. But the reality is that, you know, brands cannot survive in societies that fail. And so we now need to shore up the whole so the parts can thrive. And for a long time, in a sense, you know, a sort of a me focus, you know, our, our communities, society, the disparity of wealth, things have started to break down. But now the big opportunity to your question is really instead of looking at this as a time of crisis, we can look at it and say, wait, every one of these challenges is a marketplace opportunity in disguise. Look mm -hmm. at clean beauty and all the brands falling over themselves talking about how they're re-engineering their packaging and the chemicals in their products. Look at clean food over the last 10 years. You know, you go into almost every food store now and it's farm to table. You know, look at apparel, outdoor, you know, equipment and so on. You know, all of these companies are talking about the sustainable credentials. Look at the auto industry, which was the most intractable, you know, ingrained industry in the U.S., and a decade ago, someone like Elon Musk comes along and says, we want to enable sustainable mass transportation. And all the bumps in the road acknowledged, here we are 10 years later, and every auto manufacturer, major auto manufacturer in the US has announced a commitment to fully transition to alternative energy vehicles. So this is not the end of something. This is this truly miraculous rebirth of business in which we're going to stop stealing from nature and, and compromising our future and start to serve and work with nature. And in return, I think nature is going to dazzle us with its inherent, you know, innately abundant um, um, capacity. And we're going to fall in love with the natural world all over again because we, we're going to realize that we can solve for all those things we need in our lives without, you know, putting our future at risk. And I, and I hand on my heart, I think we're going to look back in 10, 15 years and go, what on earth were we thinking before? But what a renaissance for business that's now underway. That's awesome. That's awesome. That awesome. I was uh, I was at the Time Magazine Person of the Year Gala Monday mm -hmm. in a room with Elon Musk, and uh, he talked about uh, and he had his son with him on stage, which was kind of amazing. And he talked about the importance of engineering and optimism and storytelling. Uh, it was Steve Jobs who I think said the most powerful person in the world is a storyteller, and you 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 are a world renowned storyteller. So Simon, tell us about why is storytelling so important? And and I know we could talk about this question for probably the entire sure. segment. How do you become a better storyteller? Like, is there a is there a shortcut? Is there a, a, a small ingredient, set of ingredients yeah, you can share I, with us? I can give you some top pointers because I have been lucky enough to work with a lot of companies people know mm -hmm. to sort of um, craft the story that's going to help them achieve their goals. Sure. And the first thing is the future is a story we write every day. The future is not a fait accompli. It's not done and dusted. We get to craft that every day in terms of what we prioritize and how we show up. And then when it comes to that storytelling, we've all got to realize that we're not in the car business. We're not in the sneaker business. We're not in the electronics business. We're in the human being business. Wow. Every single company out there, that sounds so obvious, but in my work, 90% of companies walk straight past that and get lost through this product-focused lens. Then if you want to do storytelling truly effectively, you need to, there's one thing you can do. You can make sure that your communications position your brand, however large or small your company is, position your brand as the celebrant rather than celebrity of your stakeholder community. 
And that means, because this is a big problem for a lot of purposeful companies, they end up talking about themselves and no one listens because ultimately you're still just talking about yourself. If you celebrate your suppliers, if you celebrate the participation of your employees, if you celebrate what you're doing with your customers to co-create impact, you'll create content that they're going to want to watch, they're going to want to share. And the net result of that is that all stakeholders will build your business with you on the strength of you know, shared values and a common goal. But it's a participatory experience. Yet 90% of the companies that we see out there doing such well-intended work and investing real time and capital end up by default talking about themselves and then two or three years down the track they're saying we did all of this work with the best of intentions and we've got nothing to show for it so realize that the future is a story you can write every day realize that you're in the human being business we are all human beings sitting around a campfire telling stories we always have been and always will be and make sure you're the celebrant not celebrity of your stakeholder community that was awesome that was i can't believe in two minutes so succinctly you gave such sage advice. That, that's why you're a world-renowned storyteller. Okay, I, I, awesome. I just had it beaten into me time and time <laughs> that again. That was years, awesome. So that was unbelievable. I thought it was an unfair question. No, and I had no idea that in a minute you 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 hit a home run. That was amazing. Yeah. That was you amazing. know, this this is really an extension of all the conversations you had in your first book, We First, um, yeah. and and really you've taken this to the corporate level um, and really thinking about leadership and that type of change um, and this constant collaboration that you're talking about is is really important. Let's talk about the future of business. I mean, Bala hinted and talked a little bit the great uh, resignation. Uh, we see what's happening. We we actually see something bigger here. We're talking about this great refactoring that's happening in terms of our business models, how we treat people, how customers view us, uh, what's happening. And it's it's really huge. Um, what's this going to look like? If we play our part effectively, what could the future of business look like in this great refactoring? And, and why, what might the impact be on the world? Well, I'm going to touch on it very briefly, but it's a very profound change. For a long time, companies that are trying to re-engineer business and capitalism to serve our future have talked about it in terms of the virtuous cycle, doing well by doing good. And we've seen various models from that, from Tom's to Timberland to so many other companies, Salesforce with Ohana. But again, if we're not moving far enough, fast enough, what do we need to do? And what I lay out in the book is this idea of not a virtuous cycle, but rather a virtuous spiral. And what that means is that if imagine your mind's eye, you have an arrow going from the bottom to the top, and it goes from me to we. And in that we capacity, you're serving the collective, the whole, so the parts can thrive. As you go up that spiral, there are lots of different layers from me choosing as an individual to lead change, to leadership in a company, to your culture, to your brand community, to a societal level. And then there's what I call a transcendent level where business and you know humanity, I mean, humanity and the planet are working in harmony. My point is, as you go up this virtuous spiral, you get to unlock the synergies, the compounding effect, when all of these different efforts at all these different levels are working together. And yes, it involves pre-competitive collaboration, working within your industry to level up the whole industry. Yes, it involves cross-sector collaboration with government, nonprofits, NGOs, foundations. But unless we all work together in new ways against an accelerated timeline, because these timelines are contracting towards us mm -hmm. from the future, mm -hmm. we're not going to get there. But I tell you, here's a warning to everyone in business today. You know, we're lucky enough in our work, be it a line of sight about what's coming. Mm -hmm. And what we see coming is that these issues, like the climate emergency and so on, they're not sitting there statically in the future waiting for us to arrive. They're growing and they're hurtling back towards us in the present, in which case there's this hockey stick of expectation on business coming our way, where increasingly not only the media, consumers, your employees, but especially investors will say, are you part of the problem or are you part of the solution? So right now, this luxury of choice we have as to how far and how fast we change is going to be ripped out of our hands in the next three to five years because the daily experience of so many stakeholders in the life of your business will be so severely compromised by all of these issues. They're going to say, I'm not going to work for you. I'm not going to buy your product. I'm not going to invest in your company because I'm going to use my dollars to vote on a future that I want for myself and my kids. And so, you know, there is the carrot and the stick that we were talking about earlier on the show. We're at the moment where there's a lot of carrot going on. Isn't it great? Let's do more. But right behind it with a really long shadow is a big stick that's coming really soon. So I would encourage companies to sort of self-disrupt rather than wait to be disrupted by others.
Wow, brilliant. I agree, 100%. Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing the shift. We're seeing some amazing shifts that's going on here. Um, I, I really thank you for uh, sharing this uh, with us. Uh, one of the things that we, we keep seeing is this, this uh, continuous change, but really appreciate you putting in the context of this. And uh, we are here with Simon uh, Manwaring, founder and CEO of We First and author of Lead With Me, the business revolution that will save our future. You can follow him on Twitter at Simon, M-A-I-N-W-A-R-I-N-G. Thank you for playing the anchor for our last uh, Simon, show. And last episode. Thank you, so much. Thank you Brilliant. Thank you so much. Wow. God, you're wow. speechless, man. What's going on? <laughs> he, 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 he really packed a lot of wisdom uh, in each of each of their responses. Um, yep. Yep. You really got to, you know, like the storytelling uh, uh, three ingredients, you got to unpack that and carefully listen to every word. They were, they were very, very sage advice. Um, and yeah, the balance of carrot and stick. And, you know, it's just when it comes to these big topics like climate change and sustainable development goals, I think for most people, they think somebody else will solve the problem. It's not my problem to solve. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, for us parents uh, and, and just citizens, uh, I think it's important to have skin in the game, which I think our Joel, you know, Joel mentioned and, um, and, and, and Simon, uh, what can you do right now today to help shape the future? And at the end of the day, I firmly believe that optimists in the long run, the optimists create the future. So you have to have, as Joel said, you got to get out of bed with some level of optimism, no matter what happened yesterday or you expect it to happen today, because these are big audacious goals and you know, the fruits of your labor may not be instant. You have to really have grit and persistence to, to, to champion some of these initiatives. Um, and I'm lucky because I work for a company that thinks big and audacious. And, you know, uh, just about every topic we covered, uh, there's real tangible work that's happening in my, in my business. And I'm, you know, proud to be part of that. What, this was our last show of 2021, Ray. Uh, and we just crossed 800 interviews you and I started the show five years ago, so it took five years and change to get to 800 interviews, which means if you do the math, you know, we got to do about 150 plus interviews a year. <laughs> we only, you know, take off on holidays, you know, like this is the last show that we're going to, we're not going to be back until January 7th. So because we know the next two Fridays fall on Christmas and, uh, and, and New Year's. So, you know, as much as you're very popular, you know, we just, you know, we want to give our guests a break <laughs> from having to spend a Friday afternoon with us like they do 50 out of 52 weeks a year. So uh, your, your closing thoughts on not just the show, Ray, this show, episode 261, but if you have any thoughts, and I know it's an unfair question given the three extraordinary interviews we just had of the past, you know, uh, past 50 some odd weeks of 2021. Oh, look, I think it's been a very exciting year. And and I think we've featured a lot of, as, as you've mentioned, a lot of like thought leaders, uh, a lot of great authors, a lot of great startups, business yeah. folks. Um, we've had a lot of uh, provocative guests. Uh, probably, you know, we, we keep it, you know, we're not very political on the show. So we try yeah. to keep it, uh, you know, as neutral as we can. Uh, but I think uh, we've, we've really had a lot of impact on people and and we really appreciate our audience and and so more and more like we we hear about it from our audience like who they want to see what who they want to talk to uh you know what what's happened in their lives and and I, i'm very thankful for that so and and so i think you know i think a lot of our audience input has made their way into the guest i think we've been fortunate to have great guests and uh you know i'm not going to name who is better than others i, I just think <laughs> they're all amazing you know? i'm just very thankful for that so so yeah uh, what about you i mean you you've been uh You've been chronicling like the folks that we've been uh, looking at and uh, and what do we have to well, look for towards next year? You know, I, I, you know, I just kind of quickly glance at the year and I realized that we've had like 16 thinkers, 50 um, uh, winners, um, 2021 uh, thinkers, 50 on our show interviewed in the last 12 plus months. As an example, uh, you know, we've had former prime ministers, prime minister of Australia to you know, uh, best-selling authors, four-star generals, um, probably the most uh, number of CEOs that have been on our show than any other podcast that I listen to, uh, from startups to, to, you know, to CEO of Workday, CEO of Box, CEO, you know, incredible CEOs we had today on the show. So, so uh, you know, I think uh, 
the, the number of senior executives that come on our show is incredible. Um, I also look at the balance. I think we've done an incredible job in terms of making sure that we have balanced approach to our guests. We have, uh, you know, um, uh, incredible uh, thought leadership from various geographies and, and, and backgrounds and careers and so on and so forth. Uh, we have 150 spots left for next year. Uh, we do roughly 150 interviews a year. So this is your opportunity, the community, the Disrupt TV community, to tell us who you want to see on the show. Uh, and if you um, if, if you see a common sentiment on on individuals you want to see, Ray and I will do our best to get them on the show. Uh, we've even done special shows. This year we did a handful of special shows where we devoted more than the 20 minute slot. Uh, we had you know Tuesday shows and Thursday shows. So you know uh, if, if 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 there is a guest that you know warrants more time. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're open to that. You know, this is not our day job, <laughs> Disrupt TV. Ray, obviously. Nor are we paid for this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, right, right. Ray is the CEO of the Silicon Valley based consultancy, one of the top analysts in the world. And, you know, I'm, I'm one of the employees at Salesforce. So, <laughs> so uh, I want to tell you about episode 262, which will be January 7th. We have Whitney Johnson. Whitney Johnson was our first guest. So she was our first guest and we just conducted our 800th interview. So uh, Whitney's the founder and CEO of Disruption Advisors, but multiple best-selling author, one of our favorite people. We have Manish Sharma, group CEO of operations Ooh, wow. at Accenture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we have Sanjeev Saho, oh, EVP and chief digital officer at Ingram Micro. Oh, wow. So, so uh, yeah, we're starting off 2022 with three extraordinary trailblazers and, um, so, you know, wish you fantastic holidays over the next couple of weeks, fantastic new year, and I'll leave the closing remarks to my friend who's celebrating his birthday today. Everybody, get out on Twitter, LinkedIn, wherever, and wish Ray happy birthday. His birthday's today, so happy birthday, Ray. Hey, thank you a lot, Vala. And I would really sing excited. to you if I had a good voice, but... <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, no, thanks, everybody. Um, this has been amazing. Um, and uh, watch out for a special episode. If we pull this off, we have some very interesting guests live from Davos, uh, and we'll do a series uh, the week of January 17th. And uh, stay tuned. We have some very interesting things that might pop up in February. So, so we'll leave it at that. But hey, if it's Friday, uh, it's Disrupt TV. Catch us 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And thanks for people following us around the world on podcast and wherever you listen to your podcast. So thanks a lot for being here. And uh, more importantly, have a happy, safe, and wonderful holiday. Take care. Bye, everyone. Happy holidays.